Hello and welcome to Future Fluency, a podcast from the National Association of Corporate Directors. I'm Dylan Sandlin, Senior Analyst for Content at NACD. Today we'll hear from experts discussing the business community's changing response to addressing the challenge of climate change. The UN IPCC report on climate change released last year stated unequivocally that human influence has and continues to warm the planet. As climate change continues to accelerate, many governments and global NGOs have committed to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. Alongside this effort, the private sector has also mobilized to help combat this growing threat. In this episode, Melissa Pashal, Melody Meyer, and Marion Hancock discuss how heightened awareness of the climate crisis, the rapid development of viable green technologies, and changing incentives in the capital markets have shifted the private sector's approach to addressing climate change. Our guests address the current state of the climate crisis and its associated risks, the impacts it has on capital markets, the ways in which the financial and energy sectors are transitioning to net zero, and a focus on energy innovation. They also share why they are optimistic about the ability of the private sector to mobilize and address the challenge of climate change. Melissa is the Director of Governance at the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets, where she engages with management and boards on how climate and ESG issues fit within corporate governance systems. Melissa kicks off our conversation by framing the issues businesses are facing in the climate crisis and how they can accelerate their response to climate change. So essentially, we're, we're in a global crisis right now, and we have been for quite a while, but recently it's increasingly obvious. If you think about all of the hurricanes, wildfires, heat waves, floods, these are all becoming more common and more extreme year after year, both in the U.S. and around the world. So this in many ways makes it clear that climate change isn't just a long-term challenge, but it's an immediate challenge. A few weeks ago, the United Nations IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, released the first major review that they've had in nearly a decade on the science of climate change. And the results were really sobering. They called it a code red for humanity because of the unprecedented and potentially irreversible effects that we've been seeing. The IPCC found that the climate crisis is widespread, that it's rapidly evolving, and it's intensifying. And that without immediate large-scale emissions reductions, the goal of limiting global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which has been the commonly accepted goal for quite some time, will be out of reach. So essentially, it's truly a crisis for the planet. It's obviously a crisis for humanity, and it's also an economic crisis. And that's you know, of relevance to our discussion today, because business can't flourish in a critically unstable context. It can't flourish when physical assets are constantly at risk, when supply chains are being disrupted, when workers are displaced, and also when regulatory responses are fragmented and uncertain. And it's been on our minds at Ceres just so much in recent years. And essentially, I'll break it down into a private sector answer and a public sector answer. And both of them are important, and both of them involve asking companies and their boards to step up. So on the private sector side, Ceres is really encouraging everyone to raise their ambitions. So net zero by 2050 is a really ambitious goal, but companies may actually need to reach that milestone sooner, maybe by 2040, as our understanding of climate science evolves. 
because even if 2050 seems like an unreasonable goal, climate change in many ways is an unreasonable problem and it doesn't listen to what we think is achievable. So we really need to raise our ambitions and hit key interim targets by 2030 as well. So this is why Ceres recently launched the Ambition 2030 initiative, and that focuses on the six highest emitting sectors in the economy and aims to generate more ambitious, more transparent climate commitments, and also focuses on robust transition action plans to actually get companies on that path to meeting those commitments. Melody Meyer has had a distinguished 35-plus year career, first with Chevron, where she retired as president of the Asia-Pacific Upstream and now serves as an independent director on many corporate boards, including as a non-executive director of BP, where she chairs the Safety and Sustainability Committee. Melody, welcome. And to begin, I'd like to hear your thoughts on why we should be optimistic about the current state of carbon reduction technology and energy innovation more broadly. As a board member, I just want to say that these are my views and not necessarily those of my affiliated companies. I came from a long career in energy, 42 years of innovating and providing energy that the world needs to underpin economic growth. I'm really proud of our industry, but I'm really proud that we are aggressively moving and accelerating the energy transition, which is very important for our energy future. I actually just say energy innovation, advancing lower carbon solutions started about 20 years ago in our industry. We started working on hydrogen, wind, solar, bio. They were all uneconomic 20 years ago. But with innovation, they are economic today. And we still have a lot more innovation. Historically, people have always asked in the past, when were we going to run out of oil and gas? And the real question is, when are we going to run out of innovation and technology? And we need lots of innovation and technology for the energy transition. Just really quickly to frame the transition, it's not from oil and gas to renewables and complete low carbon emissions, but it's a shift over time from oil and gas with a lot more energy options, all decarbonized and with much lower carbon emissions. And that's the state we need to get to. So my comments are really going to focus on the company strategies that advance low carbon and ambitions to get to net zero carbon in alignment with the Paris Accord. And Just to say that the Paris Accord contemplates the need for more energy. We have a lot of countries in energy poverty, but also addresses how we all need to get less carbon and to net zero. And many of our energy companies are very focused on net zero carbon ambitions by 2050 or sooner, as Melissa points out. And these discussions are occurring in the boardrooms with many companies, including energy companies. I'll just say energy solutions are very complex. They need lots of innovation. We'll need new hydrogen systems with infrastructure to deliver that fuel to new forms of mobility. We'll need a commitment to change behaviors. Intermittent renewables have to be integrated with natural gas to make them reliable, but also aggressively more decarbonized. And we'll need a lot of new technology on carbon capture usage and storage. We need that technology to become economic at scale. So there's a lot of innovation that is required to get there at the same time to be able to provide these low carbon energy solutions and at an affordable price for consumers. I am worried about the climate crisis mentality. I do think that there are unintended consequences by the crisis mentality. I want to spend my time in the climate solutions mentality. And I think this is where boards can spend their time looking at how do they shift strategies and, and pursue innovation and technology 
How do they pace themselves towards the climate solutions strategy? And I, you know, often the oil and gas industry is looked at, well, we need to be looked at as part of the solution. We have the scale, the scope, the technology, the people, the partnerships that can help the world advance to net zero carbon. I guess one other thing that I'm concerned about is that, you know, energy transitions global and we'll need all countries and companies and we'll need a global transition towards a net zero carbon future. And it's really important that we help those countries. And, you know, we look at the countries that have made pledges are fantastic. We need to help those countries and those economies get there as well. Marion Hancock is the CEO of Y Analytics, where she leads strategy development and growth and a partner at TPG. At Y Analytics, Marianne looks at the research informing how investment can make a positive impact on our environment and society. Marianne, in your position, you're constantly evaluating data and research, looking at how investments can create these positive impacts, both socially and environmentally. What are you seeing on these fronts that gives you a sense of optimism? I spend days between the climate crisis and the climate solutions mentality, which I expect most of us actually do the more in-depth we get into this. So I, I love both framings from Melissa and Melody. And so it can be a place of almost overwhelming concern and worry. It is great to be in a position to see from research and from the investment pipelines that we do see real potential solutions. So I'll point to three major factors that give me optimism. The first is the pure economics. So follow the money. The economics have changed over the past decade dramatically. And we see this most prevalently in renewable energy. The fact that in some cases, renewable energy, whether it's wind or solar or other, is actually the least cost energy source for a large swath of the population of our globe at the moment. We see this in terms of the cost of electric vehicles coming down almost 90% and effectively being on par in many cases or very close to on par with internal combustion engine vehicles. We see this in spades across many different aspects of the climate solution space which is a really big difference because that unlocks the opportunity for investment in a way that didn't when, as Melody said, those early cost curves were not quite there. The second big trend is what I would call the influencer effect. This is consumer influencers. You might think of that as the Greta effect. It is also corporate influencers and investor influencers. So those commitments that are being made are radically different radically more forthcoming. The volume of them is radically higher than it was even 24 months ago. Now, that's not to say that everyone knows exactly what they've committed to or exactly how they're going to get there, but that the influence that that has had seems to have real staying effect and is really different from what it was before. And then the third factor I'd say is that what we get to see every day is the pipeline of potential solutions. And it is hopeful, it is optimistic, and it is inspiring. Some of those are from incredible entrepreneurs. Others of those are, as Melody mentioned, within corporations who have been investing in this for quite some time. And so what's happened is that the past decade plus of venture capital and corporate R&D is now coming to a point where the capital that's needed is less about technology risk and is more about scaling risk. So what we're talking about there is the difference between technology risk, where you have an underpinning question of whether a technology is viable at all, whether we'll actually have the effect that we are hoping it will have, whether it can be done in any way, shape, or form cost-effectively versus a scaling risk, which is to say this is commercially viable, but now we actually have to scale this up. And what's really fundamentally different is we are facing a disruption to our economy that is every bit as mammoth as the technology disruption was. 
However, in the technology world, once you created a disruptive product, in many ways, you could put it out into the world and the, the rails upon which it traveled were free, the internet, for example. Here, we have a fundamentally different kind of challenge in terms of scaling because it's a physical scaling. We need to change out factories. We need to create different kinds of infrastructure. It's a different kind of scaling risk involved. But again, it's one that we know as a society how to get behind. And that's different from what it was on the technology side. I think I'll tie this back to what Melody said and Marianne followed up on in terms of the crisis mentality and the solutions mentality. At Ceres and also in my own personal career, we've been looking at climate for decades. And it's been, there's been so much progress in the last few years, seemingly in response to it being more apparent that it's a crisis. So in my mind, it's absolutely a crisis if we don't deal with it. If we deal with it, then it's less of a crisis. So if you can be in that space of moving forward on solutions in a very serious and ambitious way without doom and gloom, then go for it. In our experience, and I think the last couple of years really show this, when people see the dire effects that are possible, they're more likely to act. So in terms of that progress that we've tangibly seen just recently, it's really been just a sea change where we now have thousands of investors and companies that have announced commitments to goals around net zero by mid-century. We've seen many, many companies adopting science-based targets, We've seen institutional investors that represent half of all managed assets globally committing to net zero emissions across their portfolios. And then for this particular audience of directors, we've seen a lot of progress there in terms of board governance. A recent analysis that we did at Ceres showed that 88% of the S&P 100 have put formal oversight of climate or ESG issues in one or more of their board committee charters, which is just a phenomenal pace of change and is really the best way to get traction in the boardroom. And the same group of companies, I believe it was 74% now acknowledge climate change as a material risk in their financial filings. So we still obviously have a long way to go, but those are some of the points I would refer to in terms of real tangible, exciting change that we've seen recently. We'll hear more from Melissa, Melody, and Marianne in just a minute. We recently had an opportunity to speak with Alicia Rose, Deputy CEO, Strategic Initiatives at Deloitte. Deloitte recently published The Turning Point, a new economic climate in the United States, which discusses the economic impact of climate change here in the U.S. Alicia, welcome. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a bit about the report and some of the major takeaways for businesses and boards? As noted in our report, over the past 50 years, the U.S. had $1.4 trillion in economic losses due to weather, climate, and water hazards. Yet, dominant economic projections tend to assume that economies will experience business-as-usual growth, unaffected by climate change, meaning any action on climate change simply appears as a cost. Deloitte's U.S. Turning Point Report issued by the Deloitte Economics Institute, shares findings that quantify the impact of unchecked climate change on the U.S. economy. Our report finds that if the U.S. moves toward rapid decarbonization, we could avoid much of the economic losses and take advantage of entirely new opportunities that are likely to emerge. 
Deloitte's report illustrates scenarios where an alternative industrial revolution in the U.S., one built on low emissions growth, could create a shift away from the losses associated with the climate crisis and create a more prosperous economy. Our analysis shows that if the U.S. chooses to adopt a holistic path towards decarbonization, we could see a $3 trillion gain to the U.S. economy by 2070. Every region of the country could benefit. On the flip side, unchecked climate change is a costly choice for the U.S. If global warming nears 3 degrees Celsius, our analysis shows that could cost the U.S. economy $14.5 trillion in the next 50 years, making it harder for people to live and work. Alicia, why is the information in this report important for business leaders right now? Deloitte's analysis indicates there is a narrow window of time this next decade to make the decisions that can help to change our climate trajectory to reach a turning point by 2048, where the economic benefits of decarbonization start to exceed the combined costs to transition and the cost of locked-in climate change. The analysis demonstrates that climate change is an economic imperative for the U.S., and the time to act is now. Thanks for talking with us, Alicia. Thank you for inviting me to discuss this important topic. That was Alicia Rose, Deputy CEO, Strategic Initiatives at Deloitte. Now, let's dive back in with our guests. Marianne picks up discussing the ways transforming a business's manufacturing operation can have a big impact on the energy sector. And Melissa closes out this episode, pointing to some leaders in the capital markets who have set aggressive goals to achieve net zero emissions in the next two decades. You know, as more companies move towards electric vehicles, it will help accelerate the energy transition. The more innovation, the more focus that companies have on looking at battery technologies and options that eliminate some of the challenges in the battery technology space is excellent. Also will help drive the infrastructure that we need for electric vehicles. I mean, the fast charging, the convenience that we need for electric vehicles to proliferate and be accelerated, I think is very important. So I'm very encouraged when I see companies go that direction, because I think that the, the more people involved in this uh, solution space, the more technology and the more innovation, the more infrastructure and the more behaviors will be adopted. So I think though all of those things point to the acceleration of the energy transition, which is going to be a very good thing. There are fortunately a lot of names that we could talk about. I'll just highlight a few of them, but it's really a growing community. One group is Climate Action 100 Plus. That's a coalition that Ceres founded. It's now actually the world's largest investor engagement initiative on climate change. And as I think I mentioned previously, it represents more than half of the managed assets in the world, where a number of years ago, we couldn't even imagine climate being such a mainstream investment priority. I mean, we knew it was necessary, but it used to be seen as such a, a niche, and now it really has moved into the mainstream. And a lot of that has to do with some recently joined members that include the three largest asset managers in the world, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, who are all now members of Climate Action 100+. Plus. And so that group of investors is pushing for the largest 
emitting companies in the world to reduce their emissions. It started with the largest 100 emitters. Now the cohort that they look at is around 160 companies. And those 160 odd companies actually make up something like two thirds of global emissions. And so it's just a really high leverage strategy from investors. Another key group is the Net Zero Asset Managers Coalition. That's a group of 128 global asset managers, and they have a combined $43 trillion invested, and they're all committed to achieving zero emissions um, across their entire portfolios by mid-century, and are also working on 2030 interim targets. Another one I can mention is Ceres is the North American partner for the Paris Aligned Investment Initiative. That's a coalition of global climate-focused investor networks, and they recently developed the Net Zero Investment Framework Implementation Guide. And I'll mention just one more, the Investor Agenda, which recently released the Investor Climate Action Plan Expectations and Guidance. And that's sort of a ladder approach where investors can implement that guidance sort of no matter where their starting point is. And the ones I mentioned are just a window into the investor coalitions. There are many, many groups. Um, and definitely, I would include the Climate Governance Initiative of the World Economic Forum among them that are working together and leading real systems level change. That's all for this week, listeners. Next time, we will continue our conversation with Melissa, Melody, and Marianne and pivot inside the boardroom, where they share some key questions and best practices directors should be aware of to effectively govern issues related to climate change. That's next time on Future Fluency. For more resources and guest bios, check out the episode page at nacdonline.org podcast. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.